know. Okay, I'm saying, I'm going, God, is there, what, what else do you have to say? What else do you have to say? And he goes, they've encountered me this much. They've encountered me this much. And I know some of you are like, no, no, no. I walked in here and I'm like, mind blown. Life changed, life completely rearranged. I've seen things that I didn't even know I had problems. I didn't know I had problems. I've been living a lie. I can see things different. Man, there's been some good word. But God said, you've, you've encountered me this much. So there is so much more. And it's not all going to come in this message. It's going to be what we do when we leave, how we take this, how, apply, how we apply it. I'm a firm believer in stewardship. Firm believer. God says, be faithful and I'll make you ruler. Be faithful. How we steward little things makes a difference. And ladies, we've been given the very word of God. Okay, I want to just, just hang with me for just a second, then I'll let you sit down. You've been sitting a lot today, so I'm trying to burn more calories because I know all of you had a cupcake and a cake pot and probably other things that you don't want to tell people that you ate, all right? So you go ahead and just keep on standing, keep on burning for a minute. Okay, but here's what I, mean, what I believe about stewardship. If we were to step back in time and we look, Jesse went there at the beginning. God used his word to create everything around us. Nothing exists outside of his word. Do you see how massive that is? Okay, now I want us to look at this perspective. We have been given the word of God, that same word. We just sang that same God. We've been given that same word all weekend long. We have access to the word and the presence of God. And if his word is so powerful to create everything around us, how powerful is that same exact word in our lives just blew the limits off of things. I was watching the worship team up here and Heather's going like crazy and I love it, but they're tied down. We should all think, Brandon, who knows what they would be like if they weren't strapped to the back wall, <laughs> okay? So that's what I think about these limitations is I go, there's zero limits with God. Sometimes what we're facing, and I'm not saying we don't face real things, we face real things. We walk through really frustrating things. We face hurt, hurtful things. We face things that seem impossible to overcome. But when we see our God that way and go, in one word, light that never existed was there. In one word, the earth, what there's Heather, we can all clap for. That it all came into existence. What limit can't be broken through in our lives with the same word? So I wanna challenge you, the word that you've received this weekend, don't just let it stay here while we start planning for conquer next year. That was a really good time and I felt so free. And now I gotta go back to life. No, I see it more as a slingshot. How many, how many rodeo people are in here? You've been to a rodeo, you know a little bit about rodeo? Heather, we know Heather knows lots about rodeo. Okay, all right, so I, when I ran barrels, this is one of my favorite feelings on earth is you're coming in the gate. And you get, you're, you're almost there. And this horse is like, mine is, mine never did the spinny thing in the back 90. We were headed to the gate, but there's like power coming. And it was my favorite moment to be like, I get to let go. <laughs> and you go so fast. And you just take, it's my favorite. I love it. I love watching rodeo because I know that feeling of like, they're about to let go and it's going to be so cool. That's how I feel, and that's my prayer for every single one of us, if, is it's not, I'm here and we go home now. Instead, it's, I see all of you like at the gate going, 
they're about to let go and it's gonna be so awesome, like a slingshot. So don't talk tired. Okay, the, the Bible says that he quickens our mortal bodies. Okay, so we got quickened. We, we don't have an excuse not to stay awake in service tonight. So everybody stay awake. Get you a buddy next to you that says, don't let me miss what's coming. Okay, so make sure you have a buddy and no sleeping buddy. But then going forward, don't talk tired. Don't talk. You have what it takes to change the environment you're going home to. Right? Because Jesse said that. We, we speak those things. We bring the good. That I may not have control over the environment, but my gosh, I got the living God on the inside of me and his word, and his word can't return empty. It's going to go and it's going to do what it's sent to accomplish. So I get to go home and watch everything radically change around me. I get to go to work on Monday and watch everything radically change around me. I get to go back to school. I get to go. It's all about our perspective. So can we shift that? Things get to change because we're about to let loose the slingshot. All right, let's pray and then I'll let you sit down. You burn enough calories. Maybe you should march in place while we pray. Father God, I thank you and I love you and I praise you. And God, it is an honor to be in your house. God, it is an honor to hear your word. Father, let us be faithful stewards with the word that you have for each and every one of us. And God, I pray that there would not be one limitation that we would put on you. God, I thank you for every lady in this room. And if there is anything, anything, you're not a little bit, God. You're a more than enough, God. And I know there's been breakthrough and I know there's been things come off. I know there's been a new way of thinking. I know there's been revelation, but God, there's more. And God, we want all of you. And I pray that not one lady would leave in this room tonight. Not one lady would go back home carrying something that they came in with. But I pray that every, everything would be broken. Every chain would be broken. Everything would be left. Father God, it's your feet. And I thank you that they will walk out light. God, I'll take as much as you give him. That's what he's saying. I'll take whatever you want me to, what you want me to carry. So if you want to keep carrying it, by all means, take it home. But if you don't, he says, I'll take everything. Everything that you want to give me, I'll take. Everything that you want to give me, I'll take. Because nothing I give you is something you got to carry that's going to weigh you down. Everything I give you is going to be something to push you forward. Jesus, we love you. We thank you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now you can high five somebody and then sit down. And sadly, I don't have a super cool picture with my husband up here. So he's over there. Everybody can wave at Oren. He said not to embarrass him like Jesse embarrassed Brandon. So we're just going to tell him hi, and then we're going to pretend he's not here anymore. All right? We have two dogs and a ridiculous amount of horses and some calves and some steers. I don't have children. All of you guys asked me that. And I just need to make a public service announcement. Now all of you know why. Yup, there it is. So don't ever ask me again. You have the answer. Jesse told you. So Courtney and I were talking, and um, we'll probably just adopt things. So if any of you are selling your children, Courtney and I will be doing background checks on you, and we'll take them home tomorrow after the conference. Okay? All right, good talk. Let's jump into the Word. My title tonight is One Way, dot, 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 except when it's not. Okay, we've learned this week, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
It has been said over and over and over again that he's not a way, he is the way. That should be ingrained in our memory. I'm a firm believer in repetition that that should be something that we have heard over and over and over and over and over and it goes nowhere. That we keep hearing it, that he is the way, there's no other way. He is the way, there's no other way. Now I wanna put it this way. Anybody ever driven down the wrong way on a one-way street? Excellent work. I just wonder like intentionally or you just flat missed the sign? Or was it one of those moments that you're freaking out? Like you're like, I'm lost and I hate Siri. I'm going here. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna die. It could have been one of those situations too. Okay, we freak out when we're going the wrong way on a one-way street. Okay, so if he is the way, the truth and the life, then any way outside of his way is going the wrong way down a one-way street. Any way besides his way is going the wrong way down a one-way street. And we're like, it's fine. But when we're in a car, we're like, we're going to die. <laughs> You're like calling your loved ones and getting life insurance on speed dial so that your children are taken care of. Um, yeah. So when we are in a one-way, there's confidence going the direction that we're supposed to be going. Are we confidently walking in where we're going? because there's confidence when we're walking in the way that God has, has aligned for us, okay? So here's the other th thing I wanna say about one way, because I gotta explain that title a little bit. You're like, but everybody said there's one way, and now there's not one way. No, except when it's not, and here's what I mean by that, and we're gonna kinda dive into a bunch of this, but when you look throughout the Word of God and you've seen it through the speakers um, in every single message, God wants an intimate relationship with each and every one of us. He wants it personal. He doesn't want to be, okay, any of you ever have family members that say it's just always been that way? Or friends, this is why, why do we do it that way? It's just always been that way. Why do you do it? Well, we just do the same thing over and over and over. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and over and expecting a different result. So sometimes we think that there's just one way of doing things. And so even when we look at our Christian lives and we look at the word of God, we go, there's one way. I got a lot of Christian friends, which way is it? And then we try to figure out, well, he reads his Bible this many times and she reads her Bible this many times and she goes to church this many times and she prays this many times, but she uses that one word in her prayer and I never get it right. And that's how we try to live our Christian life. Their marriage looks like this. Their finances look like this. And so there's one way, but which way is it? And we get confused. So one way, except when it's not. Because here's why. God wants a personal relationship. When he says, I'm the way, if you were to complete that sentence, he says, I'm the way for you. 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 That I have an intricately perfect designed way for you. It's not for them, it's for you. So God has a perfectly designed one way for me, one way for you. And instead of trying to figure out what one way is by looking everywhere here, we figure out by one way is by just looking here. Because look through the word of God. Let's just, let's just take a step back from the word of God and look through the stories. You guys with me? You're, you're step back and you see the pages flipping. Okay, how did they cross the Red Sea when they came out of Egypt? Jill, your hairball. 
on the stage. It's disgusting. All right. How did they cross? How did they cross the sea coming out of Egypt? Anybody? All of you come to my children's ministry class tomorrow. Okay, Tasia, thank you. We parted it with a staff. Well done. Did they take that same staff and part it and go into the promised land? So they crossed another body of water, but they did it a different way. All right, all right. So David, how did he deal with the lion? Holy buckets. <laughs> what Bible reading plans did you give them? Fail, fail. He grabbed him, oh, with his bare hands. Shirley said with his bare hands. So he killed the bear, took the bear's hands, and then killed the lions. He used his bare hands to kill the lion, okay? He killed the lion. Now, how did Daniel deal with the lion? He took a nap, pretty much, okay? He took a nap. Do we see that we have these same circumstances repeating themselves? We see different encounters that are happening the same way. How many walls of Jericho fell? All of them, trick question, that was a good one. How many times did it happen in the Bible? Once. How many Jesuses died? Do we see this, the theme? Things don't repeat themselves in the Bible. There's a personal story. Okay, let's, let's go jump to the, you're like, that's all Old Testament. If you're one of those people, we're gonna go to the New Testament. All right, so now in the New Testament, we have Paul and Silas and they're thrown in prison, right? What'd they do? They worshiped and they praised, and what happened? All right, and then Peter got prone in prison. See, you're not alone. <laughs> you are so biblical. All right, so then Peter is thrown in prison. <laughs> what happened to him? He went, Paul and Silas did it. The walls are still up. Is that what happened? No, what happened? Some other people prayed. I don't know what he did. He didn't actually tell us. But some other people were praying for him, and an angel came, and the door, he slept walk. He slept walk out of the prison. That's what happened. So Peter's in prison. Paul and Silas are in prison. Jonah gets swallowed by a well. We got some crazy stories, but do we see? These stories don't repeat themselves. There's conflict all throughout the Bible. There's situations, there's frustrations, there's things that come up all throughout the Bible, but every one of them is handled in a personal way. Every one of them. And some of us are like, dang it, I've been worshiping in my prison and I'm wondering why the walls are still up. God shows us in all of these stories, he doesn't wanna show us that this is what you do if you're ever in front of a sea or swallowed by a well. He says, this is what I want you to do is I want you to have a relationship with me regardless of whatever you're walking through and whatever you're facing and I am your way out. I am your way out. Because if there was a cookie cutter way to get out of every situation, we wouldn't need God. And we just sang a song that said, oh God, my God, I need you. That should be something we sing every minute of every day because there's not a moment we don't need him. He sent somebody and named him the helper. Basically, he said, you need help. He wasn't just being polite. He's telling us, you need help, I'm gonna send you a helper. 
But then we tell him, it's all right, God, I don't need help. I got this. No, we need him every minute of every single day because he wants a personal relationship with us to walk through everything that we could ever face in life. There is nothing too big for him. Here's the other thing I wanna point out with that though, is that we're all uniquely made. We are unique individuals. And it says that in heaven, it says that the angels circle his throne. And they circle his throne and they say, holy, holy, holy. But every time they come around his throne, here's the key thing about that, is they don't just, holy, 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 holy. No, the reason that they say holy, holy, holy is that when they circle his throne, it says that they see an attribute of him that they have never seen before. That is how cool that is. An attribute of God. And all of you were like, yeah, I said holy, holy, holy lots this weekend. I saw lots of attributes of God that I weren't, did not see before, okay? But every time they circle his throne, angels that are in heaven with him for like forever. Every time they circle his throne, say holy, 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 because there's a new attribute revealed that they have never seen before. And here's what God wants to do with us is in every single one of us, he wants to reveal a new attribute of him to the world around you, through you, if we would just walk in the relationship that he made for us. He doesn't want people to see in just the lives of Christians, this is what God is. No, he wants people in Terry's life to see an attribute of God that they've never seen before. But then when they meet Susan, he wants to see an attribute of God that they've never seen before. Why? Not because they're doing things one way, but because each of them are walking in the way that God has for them. Do we see the difference? Guys, God has so much more. Let's look at our Bible. Hebrews 12, 1. That was subpar. We'll try again on the next one. Give you a strong four out of 10 on that one. Told you to go to 12 one and I went to four one and was like, how do I make this fit into my sermon? Crisis averted. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside you like that? Every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Okay, point number one. You're gonna repeat every point after me. Point number one, say, I have a race. <laughs> and those of you non-runners are like, for the love of heaven. Okay, I'm a runner, I like to run. I like to get up in the morning. I like to go for a run. It is refreshing to me. I know that there's lots of walkers in here, but biblically, <laughs> definitely says to run a race. But you can walk by faith. See, here's the problem with that verse. I just got a revelation when you said that. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I feel like had you been running, you wouldn't have seen the flesh. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> it's sinful not to run. So I have a race and we all need to run that way race and not speed walk that race, okay? So I have a race and here's what I wanna tell you about your race. Let's look at Jeremiah 1.5. We're gonna go through a lot of scriptures real fast. 
Hey, that was so much better. All right, I'll let you off on the next one because I give you a nine and a half out of 10 only because you've lost your voice this weekend. Right, and it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Sometimes we read these and we don't really think about that. The God of the universe that created everything knew Shelby personally, knew you personally before you were ever even formed in the womb. And then take note that he says, it doesn't just say before you came about in the womb. What does it say? Before I formed. Before I formed. That means no one's an accident. Because if you're here, you came from a womb, which means you were formed. Some of you are like, I'm without form. But it's fine. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So A, he formed you. Specifically you, before you were ever even a thought, he formed you, he knew you, and he gave you a purpose. Three things before you were ever even in existence. He formed you, he knew you, and he gave you a purpose. A one-way purpose. Your purpose, your purpose, your purpose. And the only thing that's the same there is that he's your one way. Instead of one way out here. So before I knew you, I formed you. Let's look at another one. Let's go to Ephesians 2.10. And then we got the overachievers. You guys are my new besties. For we are his workmanship. Whose workmanship? Our own. Our moms. My circumstances. Huh. We are his workmanship created where? In Christ Jesus. For good works. What kind of works? Interesting how that lined up with Jesse's message. We were created for good works. Again, God's word creates things. God's word can't return void. So he doesn't just say, I created you for good works. I wish you the best. He says, no, I created you for good works. I made myself available to have a relationship with you because you are in me. So I created you for good. I created you to have a relationship. I sent you a helper and I gave you a race that is set for you to run and a mission for you to accomplish. How cool is that? We're not forgotten. We're not missed. We are totally seen, okay? Which God prepared when? It definitely says run. That we should run in them. It's contradicted my whole message. <laughs> Dang it. I'm going to look up the Greek because I bet it's the same word for run that's used right there. And probably the Hebrew and some Arabic. Um, same, same root word, run. That we should walk in them. But he prepared them when? Ladies, we matter. He did not... I need us to grasp this. This is so big. If I get to none of the rest of my message, this is fine. Because I want us to grasp the fact that if he did this beforehand, he wasn't waiting to see if you were cut out for it before he gave you a purpose. 
He was not waiting to see if you were good enough. He was not waiting to see if you responded to your circumstances the way that he needed you to respond to them. If he created you for good works beforehand, then he already knew you had what it took to be who he created you to be. He wasn't waiting to see if you were good enough or qualified or born right. He knew beforehand. Are we seeing a theme? Guys, you matter. Jesus sees you that if he prepared this beforehand, then you already have what it takes. It's already in you. He formed you and he formed you in Christ Jesus. And it was beforehand. That's the big thing. Let's look at Jeremiah 29, 11. This section right here deserves a prize. I would give you another cupcake, but then you would have to run it off. So just gave you one in spirit. Get there, sorry. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope that you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. Keep going. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to a place from which I cause you to be carried away by captive. Okay, he's gonna, he wants to listen to us. The thoughts that he thinks towards us are not evil. Sometimes we think, I feel so hopeless because of everything I've done and what I've walked through and because of my circumstances, there is no way that God still has good planned for me. He can't change his mind. It would contradict his character for him to plan something and prepare something for you beforehand, a purpose for you beforehand, and then change his mind because you didn't measure up. It's impossible for God to do that. Do we see that? So he know, we know the plans. And then let's look at Psalm 139. <laughs> you guys are awesome. And I'm going to read through this just a little bit because I just want us to grasp just how much this whole first point is that there's a race that's been designed specifically for you by God, not by anyone else and not by your circumstances. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. Okay, let's be honest. I don't know when I'm going to sit down or when I'm going to rise up. Right? Even when you set an alarm, we snooze it at least however many times it takes to feel confident about our day and then have guilty afterwards, right? Okay? So we don't even know that about ourselves, and he does. You understand my thought afar off. I don't see my thoughts coming, or they would be in a lot more control. <laughs> you comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. And he still loves us. That says something. Okay? For there is no, oh, we already read that one. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take wings in the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even 
There, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide me from you, but the night shines as the day, the darkness and the light, both alike to you. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. That's pretty amazing. Because here's the amazing part to me is that someone besides God wrote that to God. And I think about, could I confidently write that letter to God? Could I confidently write down, God, I praise you that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God, how precious are your thoughts to me. Can we say that about our God? Can we genuinely say that about our God? Because here's the other thing. When it says that you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb, that word formed is the same as the other verses that we've read up until this point. And it means a squeezing into shape. An original creation. Meaning no one else was squeezing into the shape you are. You are an original, unique creation. Here's what else that word means. It means that you have been molded into form. Okay, that means someone is taking some time. He didn't say you were globbed into form. You are molded into form for a specific purpose. For a specific purpose. So we're molded into form for something specific. Not as a whole. Because here's what we do. We take the Bible and go, all of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. Good thing there's more fearfully and wonderfully made in people in here than me because the scale is still on that side. And that's how we try to live life. The good outweighs the bad. But he doesn't say that. This is specifically to us to say, no, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. No, I have a purpose specifically for you and you have been formed for something specific because I want the world to see an attribute of me that it has never seen through your life. And I've given you everything that you need to be able to walk that out. Everybody say, I have a race. Let's look at Psalm 33, 15 and we'll move on to another point. <laughs> says he fashions, well, let's just go to 13. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees who? All. He sees all the sons of man. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their work. He fashions our hearts individually. As we can say, I have a heart that was individually fashioned for me for a purpose by the God of the universe. 
and he formed it that way before I ever had time to mess it up. Which means that I can do what he's called me to do and I can be who he's created me to be. Can we grab that revelation? That is powerful. So he has given me one way to live life. I have a race. Okay, are you guys ready for point number two? All right, point number two is I have a race. That's just the first part of the sentence because you couldn't remember all of it. Everybody say point number two. I have a race. And it's not their race. Okay, we're gonna talk about some comparison here. I gotta tell you a funny story though. So the other day, um, Dawson called me and apparently I missed the memo about being at the parade. And so I had to get to the parade in rapidly fast time because Dawson's like, Auntie, where are you? And when Dawson says, Auntie, where are you? You just go. So I go, I get to the parade. Well, then Jesse says, they wanna go to the carnival. So I go to the carnival. And Jesse took Jody back to where she needed to be and then she came back with Britley. Well, then Britley wants to ride some of the rides, but she's not big enough for most of them. So there's very few we can do, but we can do the maze ones. Okay? Well, Dawson at this point has been through the maze at least 25 times with Wacy, at least. So he hasn't memorized. So he takes off into this, you know, like the glass mirror maze things. He's bolts and he's gone. Britley runs up and goes, Bubba! <laughs> and like any good aunt would do, I point and laugh. Like, <laughs> that is excellent message material. This is wonderful. Are you okay? <laughs> okay. Her hat falls off she lost this shoe, like there's an imprint, like it was a good one. Falls down, I'm rolling. Like I'm like, that's the best thing I've ever seen in my life, especially because she's so tiny. So like the hit effect, <laughs> it was so wonderful. But so then she hits the ground and she sits up and she goes, whoa, auntie, I don't And runs back. It was an excellent moment. Okay, great story, but how many of us run our race that way? <laughs> Bubba, <laughs> we want to we run their race, and we try to mirror their race instead of running our own race, and so we try to run how they're running, and we try to live how they're living. I want her calling. The problem is, is probably she just decided to walk in her calling. You just haven't found yours yet. It's in there, but we're so focused looking at hers that we forgot to develop our own. And now we're upset that God didn't give me one. He gave you one. We just read all about it. So we all know that we have a race, but now we know that I have a race and it's not their race because everywhere it says to run, it says, don't look that way and don't look that way. Probably because there's a mirror in front of you and it's really important that you see it. Okay, so we're gonna run the race that he set before us, but it's not their race. Guys, the trap of comparison is so dangerous. We could teach on compare, we could have a comparison conference and still not get through all of the material. It will go on the first, I mean, you look at the original sin in the Bible and see, and here's the danger. When I don't recognize 
what God has already been put on the inside of me, then I fall into the deception of the enemy to be like someone else. Because in the, in the, in the beginning, when the fall of man took place, what did Satan say? He said, if you eat, you'll be like God. Had they really grasped the revelation that they were already made in the image of God, they wouldn't have felt the need to be like God. When we really grasp the revelation of who God created me to be and what he's put on the inside of me, I don't need to be like you. Because why would I take the image of God that he has put in me? And now do we see that it's not just a universal image, that there is an attribute of God that can come from my life to the world that is different than every single other person? So why would I want to take that attribute and forfeit it so that I can look like you? Or like you, or like, I wanna forfeit what God has put on the inside of me because I haven't grasped the revelation that I was formed before anybody ever knew I was a thing, specifically for a purpose. So I have a race. Everybody say, I have a race. And it's not their race. Own your race, own your race. Let's look at a couple scriptures right here. Let's look at um, 1 Corinthians 9.24. Right, and it says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus not with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Okay, and here's what that means. It's actually, it's in comparison to a scripture in Ecclesiastics when it talks about that they were coveting and that there was envy going on and it says you're grasping air. You're not attaining anything by being jealous of what they have. That's where this is coming from here. And so when we are looking to someone else, when I'm looking at their race, when I'm looking at their marriage, when I'm looking at their finances, when I'm looking at their favor and their blessing and their gift, when I'm looking at all of these things except for what God has put on the inside of me, then it says that I'm grasping and I'm getting nothing. I'm beating the air. I'm grasping and going nowhere. I'm not growing. I'm not moving forward because I'm so focused out here. I'm missing everything that God has already put in here. And so we run. But then it says here at the end, it says that I uh, bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. In the message translation, that tells us that basically... I said a whole lot of really good things to all of these people about God and about the word of God and I lived none of it. Because I told everyone else how they should be living their Christian life and they should be walking their Christian life out and they should be living everything and I'm telling them the word and I'm speaking the word but I'm not applying any of it because I'm too busy trying to live out Jesse's calling and so while I'm trying to be Jesse, I'm still preaching to you and at the end, everything I've told you I'm a counterfeit because I've built my life in the image of Jesse and tried to preach to you the image of God and I have nothing to show for it because I have no clue who the image of God is in my life. It's dangerous. It's dangerous, dangerous, dangerous ground. And we see it all throughout the Bible. We see that Jacob and Esau, 
that it was competitive from the beginning. And it gets so competitive to the point that Esau forfeits what he was supposed to have to satisfy his flesh. But then Jacob, who's jealous of Esau and is comparing to what Esau is because he's the firstborn, Jacob turns himself into someone else to try to gain the blessing and the benefit that they were to receive. And we do the same thing when I'm so focused on their blessing, when I'm so focused on what they're getting, when I'm so focused on what God's doing in their life and their marriage and how they're doing things. So now I'm gonna try to come and I'm gonna live in this image. Well, now I've forfeited the image of God to pick up the image of someone else so that I can receive their blessing. Well, then he had to run away. So now he had to go the wrong way down a runway for a really long time. And it says when he wrestled with God, one of the key things in there is that God made him say who he was before he changed his name into who he created him to be. Because he had lived with the identity of his brother in the blessing of his brother as he was running. And God says, who are you? Who are you? Tell me your name. And when he told him his name, it meant trickster. So he had to admit and go, no, this is who I really am and be transparent before God. And then God said, this is who I've created you to be. So comparison is so dangerous. We look at Rachel and Leah. We see the same thing happen. It's constantly it's comparison. One can have kids. One can't have kids. I think one chose not to now that I listen to Jesse. And, and yeah. And so there's Rachel and Leah and they go back and forth forever. Well, then we get to the New Testament. John, for the love of John, if you read the book of John, he just makes sure you know that he was the fastest one. He ran his race well. But he was so well, in fact, that he knew where everyone else was in line getting to the tomb. He lets you know that he was the fastest. He lets you know that Jesus loved him most. John, this is how I'm gonna write my, I, I think I'm gonna write my own eulogy before I die, because I want it read correctly. Shelby, the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> That's how John writes in the Bible about himself. Okay, it's constantly this comparison. So then my favorite story of this is then, Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and you have this great identity, you're this fantastic person, and he tells him all these great things, and then he says you're going to die a pretty gruesome death. <laughs> so he tells him how it goes. Peter completely skips the part of this horrible death he's about to die. You want to know what he says? How's John going to die? <laughs> it's in your Bible. Not joking. That is the next words out of his mouth. Like, what do you, what do you, why would you tell me that? Can I pray against it? Like you said, you've given me this authority. That was not even in his mind. He did not care how he died because he was so concerned with how John was going to die. So then Jesus says, what if I want him to live forever? What's it to you, Peter? He didn't tell John he was going to live forever, but that's what got around in the Bible. John died solo and sad and lonely on an island somewhere. It doesn't seem like such a bad death to me, but he did. It was sad on an island and he was alone. That's how he ends up dying. But Peter, so Jesus tells him something and he's not even concerned about what God's doing for him. He's just really concerned about how, because here's my question. Would it have made Peter's gruesome 
crucifixion better if John died worse? Like for it would have made Peter <laughs> feel better about his situation if John was going to die worse. And we laugh, except for that person that always has favor. And then all of a sudden they don't. And you're like, heavens, you know, you guys are holy. <laughs> Happens to all of us. We knew it was going to run out sometime. We'll pray for you. But we have this joy like, ha I knew there was an end to it. Their favor was going to run out eventually. But we have that inside ourselves, that same thing. What is that? Comparison. And if we were to name it, we are so much happier when someone else fails because as long as we're doing something better than the person next to us, we're doing all right. But when we feel like we're at the bottom, here's what comparison does. Two things. There's only two things that we can walk away with from comparison. Are you ready? Point number one, we feel superior to the person that we're comparing ourselves to and we end up in pride. Number two, we become inferior to the person that we're comparing ourselves to and we end up in bitter envy and we end up insecure. There's only two things that can come from comparison. Either I'm gonna be full of pride or I'm gonna be full of insecurity because there's no other way to make that work. Do we see the difference? Comparison is dangerous, 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 dangerous. Jesus does not compare what he creates. God does not compare what he creates. He created every single one of us with a plan and a purpose, and you won't find it in the word of God where he's comparing creation to creation. Instead, he's going, no, I have a plan for you. We just saw how he handled comparison. What's it to you? What's it to you if I wanna bless their life? What's it to you if I want them to walk in something different than you? What's it to you? And that's what we need to ask ourselves. What's it to me? I can't run my race when I'm trying to mimic their race. It's not gonna happen. Because we're gonna mold ourselves into an identity that we were never meant to carry. And so we have a race, right? We have a race and it's not their race. We have a race and we gotta own our race. My last thing to say on that point, it's not my last thing overall, I'm getting close, but. My last thing to say on that point is that God will give you, every, it says you've been given everything that you need for life and godliness. He will give you all the grace, all the strength, all the love, all the patience, all the peace. He gives you everything that you could possibly need to run your race. You have grace for your race. You have zero for their race. God cannot bless the counterfeit. He will not bless the counterfeit. So when I'm trying to run someone else's race and I'm trying to be someone else and I'm praying for God's blessing simultaneously, it's not gonna happen. When I'm trying to mold myself into this image and wondering why I'm hitting wall after <laughs> wall after wall after wall or mirror after mirror after mirror really, when I'm running into these things and I wonder why God's not answering my prayers and why things aren't working out the way I want them to work out, it's because God's blessing is not on a counterfeit and you don't have grace for someone else's race. You only have grace for your race. All right, point number three. I have a race. When I look to Jesus. I have a race when I look to Jesus. If we go back to Hebrews where we started, 
says that therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Guys, life is just about Jesus. If we could sum this whole conference up, if we can sum worship, if we could sum word, if we could anything in life, it really just comes down to being about Jesus. It really just comes down to being about Jesus. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When I wanna know if I'm walking in God's will, when I wanna know if I'm truly running my race, we can check our motive and go, who am I really running to and who am I really running for? If the answer to either of those two questions is not Jesus, we've created an idol and we're running to something else instead of him. And we will live left out. We will live missing pieces that he created for us to have because I'm running to something I was never created to run to. There's a way that seems right, but its end is death. There's a way that seems right, but it's in his death for there are many plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's counsel will stand. That in everything we do in life, that we would just take a step back and go, am I running to Jesus? Am I running to Jesus? Because if we're truly running to Jesus, nothing else matters. If I'm really running to Jesus, nothing else matters. When I'm really looking to Jesus, nothing else matters. Because if we were just to do that one thing, that one, if we were to go that one way that he has for us, we shall not lack and we shall not want for any good thing. And I go, I know who I am. And here's how we do that. Um, let's look at Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 really quick. And Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I want to point something out here. So the first thing says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Correct? Okay, and I love God when I seek God. When it really comes down to it, I love God when life is just about Jesus when I'm just about being everything that he's created to be and I live my life in a way that says, Jesus, just reflect through my life. Let people in my life see a different attribute of you in anything that I'm facing, in anything that I'm walking through. That's loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, right? But then the way this is written, it seems out of order, so we'll live out of order sometimes. It says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we go, love God, love people. And that's an excellent quote to say. I've preached that quote. But here's the problem with that. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you like you? Because if you don't, you can't like people. No matter how much love you try to wrap that up in, you're not gonna like them. Love your neighbor as yourself. So first it's loving God and why? Because the more that I seek him, the more he reveals who I am. 
So when I seek who he is, he reveals who I am. And that's how our relationship, that intimate relationship with Jesus works. So now I come back and I'm running my race, but I'm looking at Jesus and I go, you put something in me before I was ever even a thought. And I have everything that I need to be who you've created me to be. And now I'm looking at you and now he's revealing more about me and more about me and more about me. And I don't like me just because I say I like me. I love me because the creator of the universe loves me and I love everything that he gave me and I love who he created me to be and I love the plan that he created for me to live and I love the people that he put in my path and I love the circumstances that I get to face because I'm facing them with him. And when I can genuinely love me despite of me, then I can love my neighbor despite of them. But until we love him, until we love us, we can't love people. And life is about two things, Jesus, and people. We can't truly say we love Jesus and not love people, but we can't skip the step of loving ourselves. Do you love you? Do you love you? And if not, why not? Why not? It says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I'm gonna have you go ahead and stand with me. Nothing can separate us from, from God's love. So what's keeping you from loving you? Is it mistakes? Is it failure? Is it fear? Is it what people said about you? What shapes that? What shapes the race that we're running? Because here's the other thing that we can do is that when I'm looking back at mistakes that I've made, when I'm looking back at something that's happened back here, my past has now become an idol. But then I'm gonna become what I'm looking at, right? Because that's what I'm worshiping. You learned that in Paula's class. So when I exalt my past before my God, I'm gonna become my past and I'm trying to run in a different direction. And I'm just living in comparison and as a result of my past. And we can make our past bigger than our God. What about what people says about us? When I know what God says, and then I like hold this like, I know God says this, but my parents have always told me this, and my friends have always told me this, and these people have always told me this. Well, now this becomes an idol. So now I'm more focused and I put more value on what people say in my life than what God says about my life. There's not God's grace to run the race that they've spoke over your life. There's not God's grace to run the race that your past said about your life. There's only God's grace to run the race, the one way race that he has for each and every one of us as individuals. But we can't run that race. We can't get started with that race until we go, A, I gotta get to the starting line, which means I know Jesus. But then B, if I don't like me, I'm never gonna actually look because I can't look at my God and not see the reflection of who he created me to be. And so as long as I'm running, not liking me, really what I'm saying is, God, I don't like the reflection of you I'm seeing in me. I'm not seeing that. So when we're seeing a false reflection and we're living our lives less than who God created us to be. Because if we were truly looking at our Jesus, then we would truly see who he created us to be. He didn't create us with blemish. He didn't create us with fault. He didn't create us with bondage. 
He's responsible only for good. The enemy is responsible for stealing, for killing, for destroying. The enemy is responsible for bad things that come our way. That's not God. So I need us to know in this room tonight, any bad thing that's happened to your life, it wasn't God. It was not God. We live in a fallen world. We live in a sin-filled world. And that is an attack of the enemy. And some of it might have been self-inflicted because I chose to step into something I was never meant to step into. But regardless of what it is, God took off the limits of what he could do for us when he sent Jesus. And sometimes we categorize the two and go, he sent Jesus, he already did that, so he can't help me now. He sent Jesus, so you already have help for now. It's not two different events. He doesn't have to send Jesus again so we don't mess up. That's why he sent Jesus. And so when our eyes are on Jesus, we go, yeah, I haven't lived a perfect life, but Jesus is perfect, so that doesn't matter. I'm, I'm gonna mess up. He, he tells us all have sinned and fallen short. He knows we're gonna mess up. Guys, he wouldn't have sent us a helper in grace if he thought we were gonna be perfect after Jesus died. So we fall into a trap of the enemy to go, I can run the race that God has for me, but I keep messing up and I don't know if there's enough grace. Grace empowers us to live the life that he's created for us to live. But I don't want anyone in this room to miss it. Ladies, I don't want one lady to leave here going, I can't run the race because. No, you've been empowered to run the race. This race was set up for you before you were ever in existence and everything that you need to be able to run it and run it with confidence and run it boldly is already on the inside of you. And there's no way anything should be able to tell us any different. My dad said on Sunday that if God be for us, who can be against us? And he said, why do we give someone else a vote in our life if God is already for us? What does it matter who's against us? What does it matter what my past says? What does it matter what my failures say? What does it matter what happened to me? If Jesus says it, it's truth. And that's final. Will you bow your heads with me?